Middle of the Pack. Real discussions for the middle of the pack by the middle of the pack. We'll talk about training and racing, but we're here to deep dive into the life topics of the weekend warriors and obstacle course racing enthusiasts. Obstacle course racing isn't just a sport, it's a lifestyle. We are the middle of the pack. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Middle of the Pack Podcast. I know it's been a couple episodes since I opened it, but here I am, back doing it again. Um, I am here with my co-host, Megan. Hey guys! And uh, that's it for this week, this uh, this episode. It's just the two of us. Corey is off handling his own business. Yeah, we don't know where he is right now. But we are here to uh, kind of talk about our upcoming two races. We're going to be touching on ultras, ultra prep, and just kind of the mindset you go through to do these races. Because upcoming, as, as we've seen in the, said in the past, I have World Stuff with Mutter coming up this weekend. And Megan, you have your your Ultra debut, com- not debut, Ultra OCR but debut. Not com- really debut. No, I actually have ran an Ultra OCR before. I ran the Fit Noob Sanity 12-hour oh, this summer. Right. That was- and I... I'm actually running Carolina because I'm just recently coming off of the Fit 24-hour race. And while I'm not disappointed in my performance, I wish I could have done better. So I was like, you know what? Let's go ahead and let's just sign up for Carolina because you're trained for it anyways. And you have a code for a free ultra. Um, And you have an elite qualification code, which if you don't run Spartan before this you know, the turnover of the year, you're not going to have an elite qualification code anymore. So let's do it. You harnessed the actual ultra mindset, which is like, this didn't go well. Let's do it again. (laughs) Which is right, like right away. A lot of ultras end up turning it over from one race to the next just to get a better performance out of it. It's not that my performance was bad at the Fit 24 hour race. I made a very stupid stupid mistake that turned into knee pain that I have never experienced before and um I ended up well I I can't even say I tapped out because really I hadn't slept the night before I woke up at two o'clock in the morning um and just couldn't fall back asleep and when you're about to run for 24 hours with a race starting at you know 8 a.m in a state away um, waking up at two o'clock in the morning isn't a good thing. So I ended up trying to run for 24 hours off of zero sleep. And by the time I was like, I'm going to take a little bit of a break. Yeah. Then once I was not taking a break anymore, I realized I only had about an hour to get out on course again. And I was too cold and just, it wasn't happening. So I was like, you know, I got to be okay with 50 miles, but those 50 miles came a lot faster than the last time I hit 50 miles. But go into all of that because there was a lot to unpack from that race. So I think to jump right in, um, ultra running is for crazy people. Charles, why exactly do you run ultras? Um, I got into it kind of on accident i um in the old race group i used to be in we um back in 2016 battle frog announced bfx 24 which is their 
their Battlefrog Extreme 24-hour format. If you haven't been around there, Battlefrog had an extreme format, which is basically Bonefrog's endurance format. That's where Bonefrog got the endurance format from. But at the time, the reason I got the nickname Sabertooth is because the other guy in the group nickname was Wolverine. So we nicknamed me that because we like to compete against each other. He signed up for BFX 24. I decided to do the same and very little training, very out of shape at the time. I ended up getting 50 miles, also giving myself plantar fasciitis, but I got 50 miles without very little training and stuff. And that kind of started like the idea in my head of like hmm, longer distance might, uh, might be a thing for me. After several attempts of like failing Killington Ultra, I just, and being surrounded by certain people who ran longer distances, I just kind of was like, I want to see where I can take this. And Killington Ultra led to a 50 miler, 50 miler led to a 100 miler. And several, a couple 24 hour races later, I am now just trying to figure out any other ultras I can run at this point, which is how I've landed at Tough Mudder or World's Toughest Mudder this year. Yeah, explain to me that that to me a little bit more because even I'm confused how this whole Holy Grail thing came about. You just texted me one day and said, I'm going to run the Holy Grail. But it's not really my main goal on the year, so let's do it. I have had a bucket list for OCR in life for a while. World's Toughest Mudder was up there on the bucket list for a while, same with the... Uh bucket list for life and OCR like doing races. I've been around a long time, been racing since 2012. I've gotten to the point that there's not much I can do. Not not much I haven't done, I should say, in this sport already. So there was something I was like I need a goal that wasn't OCR World Championships. Um and then something just clicked in my head. There was this culmination of World Stuff with Mutter coming back after not being around in 2020, being back in Vegas, which was one of their like biggest ideas. Technically it's in Laughlin, but they're calling it what it, what they need to. And there's this like old story of um, back during one of the OCR world championships, my friends ran it and they had this whole like weird start line feel. I wanted to chase that world's toughest mutter start line. And the only way I would ever do a world's toughest mutter is doing the Holy Grail. Um, cause I was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to get all of it. So that's kind of how I ended up landing on this this year. I wanted a goal. I wanted to travel for something and it just kind of came about that way. I feel it's also, it seems like every two years I somehow do a 24 hour race in OCR. Technically I should have done it last year, but that didn't happen because 2016, 2018, this is my third 24 hour OCR. You still did it. 24 hour race last year i did a 24 hour race but it wasn't an ocr race (laughs) i've done a 24 hour yeah i've done 24 hours almost every year since 2016 at this point actually but it's a 24 hour ocr that which are a dying breed but that's all other topic um and also this is probably the only year i'm doing world's toughest mutter i don't think i'm gonna do another one it's just gonna be a one and done type thing for me you say that now yeah, I said, yeah, it depends on how good or bad the race goes. And then the the months after that. But yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I, I have a weird thing 
the only reason I've never done Tough Mudder up to this point is because it always looks like paying for suffering, which we do for Alters, but it feels like it's a Isn't different that type literally of literally obstacle course racing in general, though. Kind of, but I feel like Spartans, yes, but you're not wet and cold the whole time. So, and that's what World Stuff and Motor feels like. It's there's not a lot of actual obstacles, like hanging obstacles, which is kind of what I when we were setting up for the final training session for this, I was like, I don't know if I have to work much on hanging because it's only two hanging obstacles, and once those get wet, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> I mean, we don't really know what the obstacles are going to look like because they're coming up with a bunch of hybrid obstacles. Yeah, but their only hanging stuff they have they have is Funky Monkey and the Gauntlet. And I know they're updating both of those, but... I mean, they're supposed to have, like, one of those jumping, swinging types of... King of Swingers. Yeah. Yeah. Those are... That's not even hanging grip strength. That's timing, apparently. I thought it was all hanging strength. Everyone's like, nah, that's timing, man. You have to learn when to jump off of it. So I was like, oh, cool. That's going to yep. be... I'm just ride never... it. Let's <laughs> just figure that out if that happens. So Over-anticipate. Because you, you can't increase your height once you let go. But if you're falling, you can flail your arms and hopefully hit the bell as you come down. <laughs> Yeah. That'll, oh, that'll I wish we had video, so because you, you and I both just flailed our arms. Yeah, it's gonna be like I anticipate that obstacle is gonna be. Did you ever do the not the Tarzan swing at Killington, but the actual swinging obstacle Spartan Race did? They had a rope jump swing at one point. Rope jump swing. Like you jumped onto the rope and swung across like their short, small water obstacle. It it lived for like 2015, I think. No, I did that. Oh, well, it's like that obstacle. You really just have to time. That sounds like fun. It was, but it wasn't because so many people would fall. I have, I got road rash on it once because I landed and slid in tuxedo, which is all rock. So I had a nice, nice rash on my ass. But that's how I landed on Tough Mudder this year. I hadn't done it yet. And now I'm going to end up doing it. And now you're doing it. So we will see. We will all be following along. Depending on what what distance I got. I mean, I'll I'll state my my goals initially are seventy five miles, and then, to, which we'll get into later on breaking down your tears, and then it's moving for twenty four hours. It's the second second part. Because um, if I'm gonna do the Holy Grail, I'm getting all of it. So I plan on moving for twenty four hours. Well, isn't there a specific time you have to be on the course in order to get your 24-hour headband? Yeah. Uh, I don't remember it. I can't even throw out a number. Why do I think it's like 8 a.m. or something? Because um, I think what World's Toughest Mudder is noon to noon, right? Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, you have to do, you have to still have like a lap. So you could technically, I think... I think someone's like, you could do a lap or two, stop for the night, and wake up and do more. I've heard of a lot of people doing that. Like, looking at Instagram and seeing people like, I got 20 miles or I got 25 miles at World's Toughest Modern. Like, congratulations. Awesome job. You're wearing your 24-hour headband. I got 25 miles. Congratulations. That's just a little over one mile an hour. Um. But congratulations. You know, hey, I haven't done it, so I can't 
you know, say anything against it. I do. I, I don't know that I'll ever do it or not, but who knows? Maybe I'll set it as a goal. Or maybe I'll run Carolina and realize that I absolutely hate ultras. And I'm done. We'll see. Only time will tell. And you, well, I guess you basically stated how you got your ultra. <laughs> how you landed on, on the South Carolina one. Um, kinda, yeah. I mean, the only ultras I've ran right now were the Fit Challenge ultras. And that was in part because, you know, support a friend and his brand. So I signed up for the first 24-hour race. I went out to Noob Sanity um, for their 12-hour ultra just as training because I really wanted 100 miles at the 24-hour this year, which, looking back, was a very unrealistic goal for somebody who ran 100 kilometers in 24 hours the year before never pushed speed and did not get enough time on feet in training this year. Um, I, I didn't do poorly. Um, I was on track up until I decided, you know, maybe I should scale back my goals. But then, yeah, I, I had this idea of potentially going out to Carolina in my head for a while and I actually posted it on my story before the 24 hour race about you know should I go out and run Lebec or should I run Carolina um I talked with Hosick about it when he came in for OCRWC he said um you're a crazy person we won't rule it out but we'll see how you feel after the 24 hour race and then after the 24 hour race um I was talking to some people out at the 24-hour race and a little bit after, and they said, no, you're going to run Carolina. You're going to run Carolina. You are going to run Carolina. And I, So then I was like, yeah, I'll sign up. I'll go. I'll run Carolina. And really, me going to Carolina was in part because I haven't run a Spartan race this year, and I have my elite qualification code and a free ultra code. But it's also because I just really need to run away right now. Um, I haven't actually had very much travel time this year for races. Um, I don't really count OCRWC as travel because I didn't have to get on a plane. The only real trip I took was Highlander. Um, and I roped that in with a concert and my birthday. So it wasn't completely a racecation. So yeah, I was like, sure, I'll go racecation out to Carolina. I have family in South Carolina. Go hang out with them for a little bit. Um, there's also something about it that's really exciting me to just like travel by myself. Like I booked my hotel room in um, in North Carolina and I got like a king size bed and I didn't have to go into a Facebook group and say, hey, who's traveling and who wants to room with me. I was like, I'm going to show up. I fly in at like eight o'clock in the morning. I'm going to get a rental car. I'm going to drive out to Mill Springs and I'm just going to hang out and relax for the day and then go to my hotel room and, you know, take some CBD and sleep really well. Hopefully, hopefully I'm not waking up at two o'clock in the morning. And then like after the race, I'm going to drive to Charlotte 
find some Mexicans somewhere, you know, get a couple hours sleep, hop on a plane to Charleston and take a real vacation. That's that's the major hot tip for if you're traveling for an ultra. Do your ultra first before your vacation. I've known a couple of people who have done it backwards because I'm fake uh, with World's Toughest. I'm vacationing afterwards as well. I'm uh, I'm going to Vegas for one day. That's not the vacation part, um, but that's our transition. And then we're renting we're renting a camper van and going down to the southwest and over into Utah National Park camping. So where you'll be staying in a nicer place. I'll be sleeping in a van, <laughs> which is going to be fun. It's just that's uh, that's that's what I'm doing after my ultra. Hey, I have heard that the pub crawl after World's Toughest Mudder is the real party. Do not miss that pub crawl. It's supposed to be amazing. I didn't even know there was a pub crawl after. I don't know where oh. they're going to find one in Laughlin, Nevada. No, um, I think they're going to the strip. I think that's what oh, I heard. That must be after the brunch then. Yeah, I, it's we have after the brunch. The brunch. That, yeah. It's supposed to be like Monday night. I don't know. Maybe that was just a elite athlete thing, but that's what I've heard. Well, Monday night we're going to a uh, Circus LA show in Vegas. Oh, that's so. boring. It's not boring. I've been to two. They're fun. Oh, no, that's boring. <laughs> but that's at 9:30 and then yeah, we're crashing at Caesars. So gonna go gamble and get free drinks just go ride the new york new york at midnight that's always fun i did think i was thinking of that or going to the strat because the strat has a whole bunch of stuff i want to jump off the stratosphere so bad cost and money that's the only reason i didn't do it like not cost and money cost and time it's the only reason i didn't cost get and money <laughs> it's only i think this is crazy but it's only a hundred it's only like 150 bucks to jump off the side of the strat right and you could do, and then, and that's it. You could do it up to 10 p.m. And I was like, that sounds like a cool thing to do at like nine. Yeah, it does. But yeah. I mean, if there's spare time slot, I might do it. But also, I didn't sign up for it because I don't know what my legs are going to be like afterwards. <laughs> I don't know if I want to try and land on Monday jumping off the strat. So I don't know. But that I plan was on like, probably being there. That was one of the two things I didn't do in Vegas when I went. Jumping um, off the strat. Yeah. And then I also didn't get a tattoo. But. I did get fake yeah. married. I yeah, <laughs> that's not it's not happening for me out there. We're not doing the fake. <laughs> well, it's more fun when you're like meeting some random out there, and then like you post pictures on Facebook, and then your mom calls and is like, "What are you doing?" People actually believe you, and I'm like, "Sorry, mom, can't talk right now. I'm about to go ziplining across downtown Vegas." And then in the background, all my mom hears is. Hi, Mom! <laughs> oh, God. It was so much fun. Oh, my gosh. But then I got stalked in the airport, so... Story for another time. It'll be on middle-of-the-pack side stories. Yeah, oh, um, I love Vegas. But yeah, let's, um, let's jump into it, because you had a whole idea of how we could really like move topic-to-topic topic throughout like our course of setting up our ultras here. Yeah. I mean, so we kind of already talked a little bit about why we're running ultras. Um, and you talked a little bit more about why World's Toughest Mudder. But you've ran an extensive background of ultras. So for somebody who's really looking to jump into ultras, 
How would you recommend they set up their schedule in terms of what ultras should they tackle first and goal setting for the ultras? What, like, my straight out suggestion for anybody is, especially as, I mean, most people are going to be looking at Spartan ultras because that's usually the way to start. If they're on the East Coast, I always just pitch them to do Jersey. Depending on when Jersey is the time of year, because Jersey was later this year. Usually it's in like the spring. Um, if it's in the spring, go run Jersey, see how that goes. Because it's it's a challenging mountain, but it's not super tough like Killington, but it's not. It's still really tough. Yeah, it gives you a good idea, but. You're still looking at potentially a 12 hour ultra if it's your first crack at it. I mean, the beast there, you're getting like, what, 4,000 feet of elevation on one lap. So it, it can really be a soul crusher. Oh, yeah. But it's definitely a good way to test to see what, how you want to do it and stuff. But if they're looking to run a straight up just ultra marathon, not, no obstacles included, I always pitch people to do a uh, go run a 50K. Go, go run a 50K somewhere in the area. Trail. Dear God, do not run on pavement. Um, do they even have pavement? Ultras? Uh, Marine Corps Marathon has a 50K. Oh, gosh, that sounds miserable. You know, and this is why I'd want Corey on here, because he ran 100 miles on a track. Ugh. Yeah. Those are the worst. Those, like, oh. one mile, the one mi like, what is that, quarter mile loop? Like, over and over again? <laughs> Let's just go and run 400 laps around a track. Oh, just bring an iPad with Netflix at that point. Uh, How can you run with an iPad? No one's running. Well, he probably ran 100 miles, but for the to give anybody who has no idea for ultras, and if it's your first foray into them, no one's actually running for 24 hours unless you're a pro. You're really just. I'm pretty sure he ran jogging. it in under 24 hours. Yeah, that's why I was like, this doesn't apply to him because he probably did run for the whole 100 miles. But when I did my 100 miler. Hot tip, I didn't run 100 miles. I power hiked like 75 miles of that. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you're going to set up your goals, be realistic and start small, which is one thing anybody, all my friends in Ultra, no one ever starts small. Nope. <laughs> I, I had a friend, like I did 24-hour OCRs out the gate. Um, I had a friend go from running the Killington Ultra to the next year. He ran Moab's 240-miler. Oh my god. He did he did he went from 50k 240 miles. <laughs> Some people are just that way. It's definitely be realistic. And if you're gonna set up, if you're gonna want to do a hundred mile race or a 50 mile race, put it try to find one later in your in your year. Cause if you put it in the beginning of your year, you're probably not gonna bounce back after you do 50 miles to hundred miles. It's gonna, you're gonna take a good chunk of time to recover after that. Um, you could bounce back. You just need to be smart about it. Yeah. I, when I ran my 100 miler, I ran it uh, May to June. It was literally the transition, like weekend of May into June. And then I ran Indian Mudfront like two weeks later. And that was, didn't go well. Yeah. Be realistic and just really. Pick courses that aren't going to completely destroy you physically and mentally. Because that's the big, the, the, the mentally part is the biggest part for ultra racing. And we'll get around to it. But that's like the main thing. Like, don't pick 
a crazy hard course right out the gate, which is what I have done every single time. <laughs> so. And I think that's part of why I ran fit for my first few. Like, obviously, you were there for my first ever ultra. I ran every single lap with at least one other person for that entire race. I never had to go out solo. Um, and that was really helpful for me. I mean, I was able to get 100K. I felt great. I didn't feel like I pushed myself at all. Arguably, we didn't do all that much running. But in 24, 25 hours, we didn't have to. It was very much doable. I mean, I went out hot on the first lap. You know, the second lap I ran a little bit. And each time I still did run a portion of it. But, you know, when you're going out at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, you're just going out, having fun, laughing, walking. Oh, yeah. No big deal. So then the second ultra I ran with the Fit Noob Sanity, that was the first time I went out and, like, had to run by myself. And there were definitely times where other people were the pick-me-up out on that course. Whether, you know, we they were running past and just said, hey, good job, you're looking strong. Or we're running at the same pace and we start up a conversation. Um, because when that mental fatigue starts setting in, the people next to you are going to be the biggest um, support in keeping going or stopping. That's kind of the key to, especially if you're starting out in ultras and you don't have what I call like the unshakable belief in yourself, which is what I have. But there are times where you just get completely exhausted on course. And it's sometimes it's not even like, oh, I'm just tired. It's more the mental fatigue of running, especially in the dark. Um, running at night in the dark can really wear on your your mind. And sometimes you need to come across people who are just out there on course and it's the advice I've given every time run with those people run and walk and talk with those people. Even if you're only talking for five minutes, it's going to get you through whatever dark place you're in. Definitely. And honestly, I think I know, I know I could have hit the 50 mile mark. I at my last race well before midnight but when I was coming back in from the laps that I ran with Brian, we heard coyotes with the last like mile of the race. And he was running with a team. So he would do two laps at a time. We were coming in off that second lap. And he's like, okay, well, I'm about to hand it off to Kelly. God knows I'm not running with Kelly Sullivan. Like she's a beast and I'm here struggling to stay on my feet um so we're coming in and she's taking off and um I go back to like get some food and I was like I'm not going out in the dark where we're hearing coyotes like there's no chance that me you know hobbling because my knee's bothering me is going to be stuck on course with the potential of running into coyotes like they're, you know, they go after the people that are looking pretty weak. So even on that lap with Brian, there were times where he'd say, here, get in front of me. Like we just heard coyotes in the event that we see them. I want to make sure that you're in front of me and we can fend them off. Luckily, that never happened. We didn't see them. 
but it was definitely terrifying to be out there at nine o'clock at night and hearing coyotes yipping. It's um, it's funny you say that because actually 2020, Jessica ran Fit 24 Hour Ultra and she had to take a short break one of the night laps because she was on that last loop. She was on that loop where once we went over the rocky train, we went to that like far back section loop, like single track kind of near homes almost or something like that. But when she was back in that area, uh, this was in 2020, she apparently heard snarling and saw like the eyes and she was like nope and she like dipped out of there so i was like interesting there are yeah that's exactly where we heard coyotes left um this year too apparently there are wild animals through that course so yeah um but yeah that's like yeah that's that's kind of one of the things it's uh if if you come across that or even if you're just by yourself um your mind can play tricks on you um this is also one of the times if you are running and it's not an ocr and you get to wear headphones keep one ear in, one in when you're in when you're out because you don't know what's in the woods or in the dark at night um yeah headphones on trails are just bad ideas in general but honestly with this last race i felt great running by myself i did the first two laps with brian and then i ran the next now four by myself and I was just flying I felt so great um and like mentally I was in a great place I managed to do almost all of the no I did the entire 50k minus those two laps with Brian I did those that completely by myself and I pushed speed like I I finished my 50k in like seven hours which is pretty good for me yeah, that's how I was at Toughest. Um, granted, Toughest, you were just, it's people, nonstop. Um, but this was the first time I didn't, like, find someone who was running my pace and I stayed with them. I was just, anytime I came across someone, I would say, yeah, how's it going? Like, talk to them real quick. But then I was just moving past them. And that's kind of been my goal for World's Toughest Mudder coming up. I don't really feel like I'm going to have to, like, latch on to someone and move with them because it's, it's a five-mile course. You come across people consistently, and with the amount of people doing this course, they're always going to be there. But if you're doing a course where it's like 10-mile loops, find some find some buddies if you can. <laughs> Never a bad idea to just meet people and talk regardless. Toughest I came across a kid. Um, I passed him, and then he kind of like got the second win to like latch onto my pace when he was passing. And I was just talking with him. He was just, it was like two in the morning and we were helping each other through mud mile. Was that two in the morning? I don't remember, but we were getting through that obstacle and I was talking with him and I was, he was like, he asked me how old I was. I was like, Oh, I'm 33, but I've been when anytime someone asks me that I say I'm 33, but I've been doing this for almost nine years now. Cause it's, it's my first tough mutter. So people probably, if I say I'm 33, they probably think this is my first ever time doing an obstacle race. I'm like, nope, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm very old. Um, but he ended up being like 17 fresh out of high school, running his first ever obstacle course race. I'm so he's confused like, by that whole statement. What? That he's... <laughs> that you have to clarify that you've been doing it for a while and like you're old in this sport. It's like you're 33. I am old in this sport. I've been doing this for nine years. <laughs> so you don't have to clarify that. I wanted to clarify it. I want people to know. Just I, I'm this is my first time running Tough Mudder. Do you think you look like a newbie? I don't know. 
<laughs> you never know with people on course. Like, as your coach, I am really concerned about how you look on course that you have to clarify that you're old in this sport. Like, are you flailing? Are you overstriding? Are you struggling on every single obstacle? Like... I just tell people that because it's one of the things apparently in Tough Mudder. People are like, how many, how many Tough Mudders have you run? I'm like, oh, well, my secondly, my second one. So World's Toughest Mudder will be my third one. I mean, it, it's Fenway week. So I always think back when, you know, Brian, Chris, and I went out in our funsies at Fenway. And everybody's like laughing and having a good time. And like, oh, my gosh, look at all of these fun characters running around. And then we get up to the rope climb. And hearing everybody say, oh, my God, like, you guys are actually, like, good at this. So the converse, like, why are, are you having to clarify? Like, your obstacle ability, your running ability should speak for itself. Oh, yeah. But I'm only clarifying just because I'm making conversation. Oh. oh that's why. No <laughs> so one questions it. It's flex. <laughs> um well, yeah, it's also like because I'm jumping into Block Nest Monster and like people are like, do you need any help? I'm like, no, I got this. And I just jump over Block Nest. I'm good. Don't worry about it, guys. I'm good. Yeah, that was an obstacle. People are like, I don't want to I don't want to dump on Tough Mudder people who do it. But like everyone's like, Block Nest Monster is so tough. I've done Block Nest Monster twice now, one for 12 hours. I, I know it's not a video podcast, but I just like shook my shoulders like, what? <laughs> I just jumped. Granted, I'm six foot with a tall reach, so I just jump grab the top and just slide over but that's eh, not it's not as difficult but i'm just confused about it like everybody talks about how they just hang out at blockness monster and like help people over so like by the time i got in like you look at people and you're like are you gonna go are you gonna go are you gonna go are you gonna go i'm like fine i'm gonna go and i just like grab on and just ride it over and then i get to the next one i'm like you gonna go you gonna go okay i'm gonna go and then uh, you ride it over and like yeah i'll pull it down as i'm like coming off but like how much more help do i need to give but like this is me i've only done one tough mutter so i don't know what that proper etiquette is i guess i i feel like it's one of those things i'm gonna end up learning at world's toughest it's like I don't know, but people love clearly like we don't understand yet the full Tough Mudder environment because people are brand loyal to them big time. Right. So they get it. There's something we're not we're not getting yet. So. Maybe that's why they're only getting 25 miles at World's Toughest Mudder because they're hanging out at Block Nest Monster all night and they're just helping people over. And then they're going to the orphan tent and like raging and dance partying it up on course. I have heard plenty of people talking about these dance parties at World's Toughest Mudder. There is one they Kyle did say there is a dance party on course. And I'm like, what is this? I haven't even asked about it. I have heard uh, elite athletes saying how they're going to be dance partying it up on course. I don't know. I'll see. I, this is all things I get to learn and experience. So how did we get there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just went off on a tangent yeah. because you needed to like flex when a 17 year old asked how old you were. See. This is why we need a third. This is why we have a third person. It's like I know because Corey actually track. does attempt to keep us on track. Selecting, we were so, like how how to pick out like on course type stuff. Uh, pick out your ultra. That is. Yeah, you told everybody they should go to Jersey. Go to Jersey. If you're gonna, I mean, if you're in obstacle racing, 
and you want to try an ultra and you want to go a longer distance, either run a local 50k trail or do Jersey. Do the Jersey Ultra. That's the two I'd give you. I'd tell people to do. Which the only reason, if anyone's like, what about North Carolina? Or because North Carolina has an ultra, right? That's Did literally they? where I'm going this year. Oh, they've they've combined. Fayetteville well, they is also now there, but I think Fayetteville they've only had like one ultra there now. Okay, that's why I'm like, but yeah, people are always like, what about Carolina or Dallas? And I'm like, Ohio. There's a reason I picked Killington <laughs> as mine because I was like, I want to do the hardest, but. And, you know, I've always had that same mentality. If I'm going to do a Spartan Ultra, I want to really earn my buckle. Not to say that, like, Dallas, Ohio, wherever else isn't earning. And I say with, like, quotes. Um, For some people, it is really tough. Now, I know, Charles, you're not in Spartan groups. um, But, of course, I am a moderator in, like, every Spartan group in existence. And somebody had posted about Blue Mountain. What? It was the same weekend as Dallas, which was the same weekend as Fit24. And they posted, like, the finisher rate. And it's, you know, there were no female elite finishers. And only a handful of females in age group and in open. And I made a comment, like, well, what was, what did it, like, how many females started the race? And somebody's like, well, I don't know. So I went in and I looked. And there were only, like, two elite females to start. Um, but still, there weren't a lot of females that took on that ultra. Which, I know you never got to Blue Mountain for OCRWC. Blue Mountain Canada, not Palmerton's Blue Mountain. But it is a really tough, like, horrendously tough mountain. Fun fact, it is actually the village in that Netflix series about the um, ice skater who, like, self-harms. It's, like, spinning out or something. I remember watching it, and I was like, you know, that that village looks really familiar. So I Googled it, and I was like, yes, that's Blue Mountain, Canada. I know. That series uh, does not show up in my algorithm. <laughs> it, it was like something i watched like two years ago on like new year's day because i'm single and i have nothing better to do um but yeah so i watched and the only takeaway from it was oh my gosh that's blue mountain and i recognized it um but then it prompted me to go and look at how many females are running ultras for spartan within the last up to like, I think I found all of the data through Killington. And the only ultra that had more than 100 females was Dallas. And so people are, like, legitimately terrified of mountain ultras. And I don't want to say people. Women seem to take on more flat ultras than mountain ultras so hearing you say go try jersey for some people that might be a little much yeah what would you recommend for people who maybe are worried about the elevation or they're really worried about taking that long on a course because if you're going out on a mountain ultra you have to assume 
you're going to be spending 12 to 14 hours out there. I mean, if you're like, if you don't want to do a mountain, then probably my next best like suggestion is the Carolina Ultra. But usually the Carolina Ultra is late in the year. Um, it has had, I know you're not worried about it, but it has had cold weather issues in the past. I have, I am stuck in the old ways of the flat ultras. Like, I'm just not a fan of the flat ultra beasts because I don't, I see those times like that they're like the top many leads, like Killian came in second and still broke his old record or something like that on this. And Dallas lefty when he ran the Carolina ultra, he ran it in like five and a half hours. And I was like, that's not an ultra, but that's why I'm like, I look at those and I'm like, I, I don't know, but I I understand if people don't want to do a mountain, then go do the flat course. But I do think Jersey offers that challenge. Ohio might be a better option because it's gonna, I know where they hold the course. It's going to have some rolling Hills. It's probably going to have more than Carolina and Dallas would. So that's a little bit better option. It's also earlier in the year. I mean, you talk about finisher times for some of these ultras. You look at Jersey when Ryan Atkins ran it back in what? 2019. He ran it in like six hours. You know, that's Atkins, though. I know. But then you you look at like Josh Fiore back in Killington this year. He he ran that in like eight and a half hours. Those times, like people running the Jersey Beast or the Killington Beast as a first timer or even a second timer, like they would kill for the time that these ultra elites are running. Oh, yeah. I've had a I've had an Ultra Beast Elite finish before. I've finished a Killington Alt Beast before. <laughs> I've heard it called out. It's it's not a fun thing to hear on course, but it happens. I don't know. When it comes to ultras, I'm about challenging yourself, giving yourself a little bit more of that challenge. But yeah, if you're looking to really just test the field, yeah, try the try Carolina. I I don't suggest going to Dallas because, but we're also a little East Coast biased. So it's a flight to Dallas for an ultra. I don't know. It doesn't seem like like that appealing. So I would almost say go to Carolina because the food's going to be better too. Because um, the food's better. <laughs> it's yeah, just, better. you know, just keep some pulled pork in your transition bin with some Carolina mustard. Oh my God, that's what right? I'm really looking forward to. I just want the mustard. Sounds like a great like pit food. That does, actually. That sounds phenomenal. But, I mean, again, I'm going to clarify the only reason I'm going out to Carolina for an ultra is because I'm trained for it. Um, I wasn't, like, I want to run the Killington Ultra eventually, but, of course, OCRWC just so happened to be two weeks later. And next year, we have the Rammstein concert the day before the Killington Ultra. So, unfortunately, I can't run that one. Um but if this goes well, I'll see and maybe put more ultras on my schedule, especially now that the season pass is going to be able to cover some more ultras. Yeah, I saw they give like one ultra in it, one code, one ultra code or something like that in the perk. No season pass. You're going to get 100% ultra covered. Wow. I'm still not going to buy it, but wow. I'm not going <laughs> to buy it either, but Spartan's yeah. giving it to me. There you go. Um, 
would that cover ultra world champs? I don't know. I would I have to double check. I also have to see where that's going to be held. That's kind of on my list, but I want that to show up in Killington. So I'll wait. I'll wait that part out. But um, I would love to see that show up at Killington. Also, though, just just pulling it out of my ass, just because if someone if someone's looking to do an ultra, if you're looking to do an ultra Spartan ultra and travel, go do the one in Scotland. Oh, that's another one I want to do. That's that's on my bucket list for a while. I would just suggest that nice rolling hills, great 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 vacation. Go do that one. Um, would you say for West Coast Montana would be a comparable ultra to Jersey? I guess. I don't know much. Honestly, I don't know much about the Montana course. I think Montana Beast usually gets about 3,000 gain. I actually had a client that I met with. Oh, God, it's still Sunday. This morning, who is looking to run his first ultra and is trying to decide between San Luis Obispo and Montana and said he ran Utah for the beast and it was miserable so he doesn't want something as brutal as what the utah ultra would be um and he wasn't sure about san luis obispo versus montana but i think montana isn't as tough as the jersey beast so i'd assume that the montana ultra isn't as tough as the jersey ultra but I do really want to run Montana in some way, shape, or form. So I might look to put that on my schedule. Yeah, that's one of those also I'm like, but I mean, if you're going to Montana, I guess flights would be cheaper in Montana than Ohio. No, they're actually pretty expensive. Oh, well, there we go. Because I was supposed (laughs) to run Montana in 2020. Um, Actually, I still have that flight credit. Maybe I'll just do that. But speaking in terms of like, setting up where you're going to do your first rate, like first ultra, you also have to consider what your on course goals will be. Uh, because that's kind of where a lot of people end up faltering. Granted Spartan ultra, you kind of only have one or two goal options. You have finish or don't. That's really what you got. You have more than that. Do you? <laughs> well, like for me, so I'm obviously running Carolina as elite. One, I'm not an elite athlete. <laughs> it's comical. But again, I have an elite qualification code. It's going to give me 15 minutes to start earlier. I know we do not condone people jumping into competitive waves for an early start time. But for me, I have that elite qualification code. I have actually been able to hold my own in an elite ultra. Um, I remember running the Fit Noob Sanity Ultra, and I was like neck and neck with Jareen for that for the last few laps. And I remember her looking at me, and she turns and says, "Are you going out for another lap?" I was like, "I'm gonna see how my body is feeling." And we got into the pit area, and she like churn and burn got one more lap in, and I was like, I didn't realize that we were on the same number lap, or that there was even going to be podium awards. So I'm like, eh, I'm just going to go out. My body can handle one more lap. So let's see. And she finished like five minutes ahead of me and I finished third, but like Jareen's like legitimately a really good elite racer. So I know in the end, like I can hold my own in a competitive wave. So sure. I'm going to jump into elite, see how I can do, but also I wouldn't run an, an ultra open. 
just I'm past running open races if I'm competing, competing. And I don't want to podium poach and age group finish. So I would much rather just jump into elite and see how I can do with that. I would rather finish off of an elite podium than be the only person standing on an age group podium. So that is why I am doing it. But for me, that then means, okay, I don't think I'm going to be chasing down any elite females. Like, we're going to take off. They're going to be well ahead of me. I'm not going to see them again until we finish up that race. But I'm going to have, hopefully, we have a solid group of ladies in age group chasing me down. They're starting 15 minutes behind me. I hope that no age group ladies can catch me. That is my goal. Do I think it's going to happen? No, I think people are going to pass me. But it's something that I can actively work towards and monitor. But it's, I guess that is like the extra stuff you can have for that. In my mindset, it's always like I've never felt like I've had a shot in the Spartan Ultras, but I've also only run three and then retired from doing them currently. So I don't really have like another mindset besides finish or don't. Then we also can look at like the time cutoffs. Those can set many goals. That this jumps more into our race planning of anything else. So we'll get to it a little bit later. But when I'm, you know, coaching my clients and we're laying down their race plan, I say, hey, just focus on the first time cutoff, focus on the next time cutoff, focus on the next time cutoff, because those are smaller goals. If we just think pass fail, how are we going to actually continue to monitor our progress? Because, yeah, the the mindset I've always had, especially outside of all with my other ultras, I've always kind of set up also, yeah, the mini goals of where we're going to get to at this point, um, like my 20, my 100 miler. I wasn't sure if I was going to get all 100 miles because, I mean, that's a big chunk of mileage to get, um, especially out on the course I was, which was up in Vermont. But I originally just went, all right, we're going to do the first two loops, which is 26 miles. It's a marathon distance. We're going to get there, see how it feels. Felt pretty good. All right, let's chug on to 50 miles. Got the 50 miles, crashed out a bit, gave myself like two hours of recovery time. Set up the next one. I was like, all right, we're going to go do the seven mile loop and then we're going to come back, see how that feels. Felt great. At that point, once I do the next loop, I'm at 75. I'm like, I don't have an option. I'm not dropping out at this point. I'm going to 100 miles and I'm going to finish in time. Uh, that's kind of how, like, how I've always, I've always decided to build into my goals instead of ticking them off. Like, like in my head with Tough Mudder, I have my goal is 75 miles and my next one down is 24 hours. But when I'm running this race, it's literally going to be the slow build in mileage as I get there. Like we're at 25 miles now. Now we're going to go up to the 50K, 50K, we're going to go up to 50 miles. And it's going to, at that point, come at 50 miles to 100K and then, 100, uh, then 75 miles. I really don't think there's much space for me after 75 miles because first time at uh, first time at World's Toughest Mudder, I think beyond 75 miles is a pretty big goal, but 75 miles is my, my cap goal to reach. So we're going to, we're going to fill in that goal distance. Like we're trying to fill in a fundraiser. I'm just going to fill that. We're going to fill that thermometer as we go. 
Can you come up with a graphic of that so we can put it on our story as you're running? I'll get Alan on that so he can slowly fill it in throughout the night. Alan's my pick group person, so. Yes, and and then just send it to us, and um, I'll keep updating our Instagram story. Yeah, that'll be the way to go. But, um, yeah, that's kind of how I'm going to build into this. And then my sub-goal beyond that is to move for 24 hours, because the thing with ultra races is thing, you could train and have the perfect training schedule leading up to this, and then you could have one bad night of sleep, you could just step on something weird. You could your stomach could just decide today all this food we spent months testing out, it's not gonna work today. It's just not. Like sometimes that's just how it's gonna go. So you kind of have to build in your sub goals of like, all right, I'll there'll be a point I where there'll either be a point where I know time wise, I'm not making it to 75 miles, or B things could start happening, like joints and knees, things could start getting bad, feet could start getting bad, stuff like that. Like that's when you have to start going like a goal is not going to work. How far can we get into the B goal or C goal? And then you figure that out as you go. Um, Because I think at that point, that's kind of how you deal with not finishing a race and being like, I failed, but finishing a race and go, okay, we got here. How can we improve? Or, okay, we got here. I'm okay with being at the point I got to. And that's exactly what happened to me at the Fit 24 Hour Race this year. I went into it, obviously, I had a very ambitious goal of 100 miles. And with the Fit 24 Hour Race, it's not actually 24 hours. Rob gives you something of like 28 hours or something. You have to get out on your last lap within 27 and a half hours of starting. So I did the math and said, okay. If I can run 23 laps because it's a 4.2 mile course, you finish 24 laps, you are at your 100. If I can finish 23 laps and get out onto the 24th lap by that 27 and a half hour time cutoff, I would need to run or I would need to um, my pacing cannot exceed 72 minutes per lap for the entirety of the race. So I thought, okay, for the first six to eight hours, I want to run a sub-hour lap with pit involved. Because obviously, when you're on a time crunch doing your lap, your pacing isn't just how fast are you running, it's how fast are you running, but how quickly are you turning over in your pit, you know, restocking your hydration, getting food, changing your shoes, changing your socks if you need to put pants on or grab a jacket, whatever else. So my goal was I want at least the first six hours Less than an hour of these 4.2 mile loops. You have like 400 feet of elevation. It's nothing too crazy. Um, so I was running and I was feeling great. I I was in and out. I think I pitted on lap three. I came in four. Maybe it was four. One, either three or four. I came in and my pit wasn't that close to the start line. I came in. I sprinted to where my transition pit was and um mike our friend mike he 
he had sprained his ankle in Jersey. So he was there only supporting his fiance. He's like, what do you need? I said, I need shoes. Uh, because, spoiler alert, the reason why my knee started bothering me is um, I found an old pair of King MTs that I thought had some life in them. And after my King MTs blew out at OCRWC, I didn't have enough time. Slash, I'm too cheap to order them off of the Spartan website because that's the only place you can find them. So I went out in a used pair of King MTs from 2020 that no longer have my stride pattern on them. And after four laps, I felt my IT band really starting to flare up. So I'm like, oh my God, I need to change my shoes. I put on my superiors. I felt great. I went back out for another lap. I was in and out of that pit in less than two minutes. And this is with, like, having to run over to the pavilion and back. Um, Then I come in after my fifth lap, and I needed food. And um, that was when I, I got out onto my next lap in, like, an hour and two with lap and shoes. Okay. And then from there, that's when it all started to go downhill. And I, it was on either the seventh or eighth lap that I realized, you know, I have never pushed pace and distance in an ultra. All of my ultras, um, I was able to kind of just take a relaxed pace and just keep moving. Um, or, you know, whatever else. I, if I pushed speed... I wasn't focusing on going for an exorbitant distance. And that's when I was like, okay, I was still technically on track to get to the 100 based on what my pacing was. But I I was breaking into that banked time that because obviously if I can get as many sub one hour laps with, you know, needing 72 minutes per lap for 23 hours or 23 laps, I was just adding more time on to the end so I could take longer than 72 minutes at the end of it. And that's when I realized, okay, the 100-mile goal, probably not realistic because even though I'm on path right now, in the middle of the night, it's going to take me well longer than 72, 80 85, 90 minutes for some of these laps, especially when I have to actually start eating food or actually start changing my clothes. So that's when I was like, okay, I just want to do 100K faster than it took me in 2020, which was, I mean, if I hit the 100K, I was going to do it faster than I did in 2020. Um, And then I took a little longer after I hit my 50K and I ate some food finally because I was only quick pitting through this entire thing. And then I ate food, changed my shoes again, threw on some better clothes, got out. Um, and that's when I went out with Brian on the next two laps. And like the wheels really started falling off then. We came in and then I sat down. I ate more food. And then I went out on the last two laps that I was able to get out on. I remember I walked the lap before my 50th mile lap 
with Lisa, Mike's fiance. And she was hurting in the knees. I was hurting in the knee. And we came in and Josh Fiore came like running up. He's like, oh my God, Meg, I've been looking for you. How are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? And just having him come up to me and say, what can I do for you? What can I help with? I'm like, my IT band's killing me. Like, I saw a Theragun over there. Let me quick grab you this Theragun. Let's do these stretches. I took maybe three minutes between that lap, but we went back out immediately after that. And we managed to shave like 25 minutes off of our lap time just because like our our quote unquote pit crew, which we didn't have really any pit crew, but just having, you know, Josh Fiore and Mike say, here, take this stuff or do these stretches quick, get out. Um, and then I came back in and that's when I was like, I need to take a break. I need to rest. And I was talking to them all again. I'm like, you know, um, I I need some rest for where I'm at. I'm doing really well. And then to talk to them and say, I've never pushed pace I've ne- for, you know, X amount of time. Like, I'm really happy with where I'm at. I did, I PR'd my 50K, I PR'd my 50 mile I'm not disappointed with that. I didn't hit the mileage goals I wanted, but my knee is more important than, you know, hitting 100K or 100 miles in the end. And that's a mindset a lot of people in their first go-around will not be able to harness, but it's something you have to be okay with because your health and well-being is going to be more important than your mileage number or, like... Because some races have a, like different buckle goals. Because some races have different buckles and stuff. It's going to be more important to be happy and healthy in your finishing than dying. Exactly. <laughs> uh, to to be get to finishing, yeah. And I already had it kind of in my head, like maybe I want to try and go to the Carolina Ultra. So I I knew that. Fenway was going to come up and even though I'm not looking to really compete at Fenway I was still going to go out on course at Fenway and if I want to get out to Carolina like I need to be able to really recover and it's a lot easier to recover if you don't push too deep into the pain cave especially on a race that I'm I wasn't racing there was no specific reason for why I was pushing I just thought hey I want to hit this distance but in the end like the race wasn't worth it major important question because i've been doing this long enough i wanted to see just how you came to it how did you how did you know your shoes were kicked um i could feel my arches collapsing or more specifically my left arch was collapsing pretty good And I could tell because I would try to fix my gait, but with how my shoe was, it it just was pushing my arch to collapse every step of the way. Um, I don't think the shoes in general were kicked. I think the wear pattern, because they were from when I was coming off of the year where I was spraining my ankle every single month and then I fixed some things but in 2020 that's when I really started ramping up my mileage and I 
one thing a lot of people might not realize is when you're going when you're dealing with ankle stuff when you're wearing zero drop shoes or really any kind of shoes that you're wearing and with how your strength training and everything else you're doing that's going to change up your gait pattern so the more i wear zero drop and the more i'm recovering from an ankle injury and the more hamstring and glute activation i'm getting that's forcing me more onto the midfoot when i'm striking as opposed to like heel striking and it's going to just make these slight changes in where your foot is hitting the ground as you come through so uh, my arch was collapsing in it meaning that when I was wearing those shoes and training in them in the first place I was my my knee was caving in a little bit more, so my glutes weren't as active, so I wasn't able to sit to the outside of my foot as much as I do now. So pu- putting those, my feet back in those shoes for 20 miles, it, it was fine for laps one and two. Lap three, I was like, okay, I'm starting to feel something coming on, um, but I couldn't quite put my, like, I couldn't really figure out what it was. And then lap three, I I did actually go out really hot on that lap. I ended up talking to somebody that I had was talking to at the Fit Noob Sanity race as well. And he had the same goals as me. We were, our pace was pretty much in sync. Um, and it was actually my fastest lap. So I just thought, oh, I took the third lap way too fast. And... Um, I flew down that technical segment. I must have aggravated my IT band. Um, and then on lap four, I really could tell that my arch was collapsing every single step of the way. And my glutes and hamstrings were very much active the entire race. But for the life of me, I couldn't stop my arch from collapsing. So I was overpronating the entire time. And when you overpronate, that means your knee again is caving in, which means you're not getting enough from your glutes. Like, no, my glutes are working, but I can't stop myself from doing this. It has to be the shoes. And I even told this to Hosek um, after the fact, because he's like, well, how do we know that it wasn't your glutes? I'm like, well, no, I know it was my, I know my glutes were firing. I could physically feel the shoe was pushing my arch down with each step of the way because it's like you know you have a dam in a river that dam is going to always stop the water from crossing over well there was this dam in my shoe stopping me from sitting on the outside of my foot and really rolling through it was forcing me back into that arch so that's the the technical side of knowing it with (laughs) that whole breakdown um, I'll deliver the, uh, the basic side of it. Cause I won't, that's probably what could be happening when my feet are like tired in my shoes. When there comes a point almost at any race where you are running in your shoes, you have trained in these shoes many times, months, maybe even all year. If you've trained in them all year. You probably should be in newer shoes. Um, but you could train in them all months and your feet are perfectly fine for every run, but you could get 20, 30 miles out of these shoes. And then your feet just suddenly just go, we're kind of tired in these right now and you will know at, you will know the moment you need to change shoes and hopefully you know it before your next pit um because you, your feet will just get tired it's just something that happens because you're running 
nonstop for 24 hours. And it's always good to at least change up your shoes. Just don't do anything drastic. Like my shoe change preference is I, I am going superiors to lone peaks to temps. I'm just going up and cushioning. Like that's the, uh, that's the way I'm going to build. Um, and I'm bringing three shoes that are on their last legs. Like these guys, I, they're not coming back from, they're not coming back from tough mutter, <laughs> world tough mutter. Um, when you have that also, it's going to mean you're going to have maybe a slightly longer pit stop depends. Uh, but if you are going to change your shoes, because it's going to bring you a fresher feel in your feet, make sure you change your socks at the same time. So you have a fresher just feel all around. Um, it's just going to be something. It's not something I can fully explain. You're just going to feel it. Like at one point, your feet are just going to feel shitty um, from being in those shoes the whole time. And just a brief change of shoes can bring a whole new life to your race. You could be perfectly good for the next several hours. You could be good for the rest of the race. Um, the uh, Something I'm currently hoping I'm going to have a good time with because that was one problem I had at Toughest. I realized the shoes I was running in got kicked, but also Pocono's toughest was like 40, 50, maybe even half pavement. So running on trail shoes for half of that race sucked. Um, but that, that my feet were not happy after that race. Um, but it's just something, yeah, if you know how to change and there's, that's kind of uh the major tip even beyond shoes is knowing knowing what you need at the right time during an ultra. Well, before we go to that, um, because you're talking about the lap format, you know, the world's toughest mutters, general rule for a Spartan ultra, have a second pair of shoes in your transition bin, and even if you don't think you need it, change your shoes, change your socks, that is crucial in whatever ultra you're doing. I will say I stayed in my King MTs for the entirety of the Fit Noob Sanity Ultra and I was fine, but I don't expect that to ever happen again. So regardless of whatever race you're running, have more than one pair of shoes and change them. And I did buy... New King MTs. I just got them today. I just bought two new pairs of them off of Spartan because, that, again, that is the only place you can find them now. So I am ready to go in Carolina. Yeah, knowing when to switch out your gear, switch into different food, grab different food, all the stuff you've test, tested to get there. Even though we could probably dive down the rabbit hole of testing gear, it's that's just, we've said it in past all trip suits. Test your gear before your races. Your body will know exactly what you need to do at certain times during races. Because it's not, I saw earlier this week, I've never done a race where I've needed a wetsuit. I have done them technically, but enduro, an Australian winter is not winter for us. It's a Florida winter down there. So I brought a wetsuit and I didn't need one. But I saw Amelia Boone earlier this week. She was just giving out tips because she's done World Stuff Smutter many times. She one of her tips was put on your wetsuit before you get cold, and that is a very hard. Like it's the one thing I kind of don't agree with because the, the follow up question is like, how do I know when I'm gonna be cold? You don't know when you're gonna be cold. 
I was waiting for you to say Amelia Boone said to run in your wetsuit before the event, and then I was going to yell at you because your coach has been telling you that for a while. She did not put that down, so. Um, No, but your coach has been mentioning it for a while and even said, run in and out of water. I should check with Brian to see how that went this weekend. But, I mean, if you follow, and I'll use him again as an example, Josh Fiore on Strava, he has been in and out of lakes testing out his wetsuit and getting runs in and out of water with the wetsuit on to prep for World's Toughest Mudder. Test your gear. Expect to run in your wetsuit when it's wet. So you should be training in your wetsuit when it's wet. It is not wet or cold for me to run in a wetsuit right now in Virginia. But, um, yeah, how do you know when you're going to be cold? You don't. You really don't. You don't know when these races are going to be cold because there are instances I've had in the past where I thought I was going to be cold when I was in the pit. I put on warmer gear. Didn't need it once I started getting moving. It's going to be hard to tell, but hopefully you're not putting on your wetsuit when you're already borderline hypothermic, which I've seen happen to friends in the past who have run World's Toughest Mudder. They put it on way too late. You can put it on if you're getting probably getting close to chilly, um, but just know that hopefully you're smart enough to know that you're not getting cold because you're just standing in the pit area or because of uh, Arctic Enema, you're actually cold because it's getting cold outside type deal. Yeah, everything that you have in terms of gear, you know when your body needs it. You know when your body's not going to want to continuously drink Gatorade or pizza's not working for you, which was another thing I had to deal with. Or with, uh, yeah, just in general, all the snacks, sometimes it's not going to work and you need to switch it up. So I think that's a good place to kind of segue into what else can really come up out on course. One thing I like to stress with my clients is to identify different barriers that could um, prevent them from performing to the best of their abilities whenever they're out on course. Whether it's, you know, mental prep or physical prep and try to develop coping strategies for each one. So if something arises, you already know how to combat it and you can kick into your next gear and you can keep moving forward. So, Charles, what are some different barriers that could come up for you during World's Toughest Mudder? Top one on my list, I get frustrated. I get frustrated real easy sometimes. Oh, yeah, you do. It can just something that can just snap on course. And when you're tired, you're tired of being soaking wet uh, and it's cold and you've been running for like 10 hours already. Sometimes you can just snap and break. What One thing that keeps you from doing that running with people that's kind of why i've always run with people and i have a pretty good idea it's that probably won't be happening at world's toughest for this year it is something that they don't have challenging obstacles they i mean they have challenging obstacles but they don't have obstacles like ocr world champs challenging where it's like you have to keep your band or you don't like they have things where it's like you fail this you go and do your penalty and you keep moving so i'm not too on this race i'm not too worried about that but like becoming frustrated can completely derail you if you don't have a way to keep yourself grounded they can completely tailspin you out where everything else becomes super frustrating you're not having a good time anymore which is rule number one make sure you're having fun if you're not having a good time you're going to start questioning why am i even doing this race and that's what i was going to say 
is your why to continue greater than your why to quit? And that's something you really need to weigh out. Why are you out on course? Why do you want to stop right now? One thing, definitely just take a big inhale and a big exhale. Clear all that air out. See if that can refresh you mentally, physically, you know, shake out your arms, shake out your legs, maybe stretch a little bit. Get a nice solid breath and then ask yourself, why do I want to keep going? Why is this frustrating me right now? And and figure out what is greater for you, your why to keep going or your why to quit. Yeah, and it's something uh, I've had in the past where I get like, it it doesn't even attach to if I'm being frustrated. It's more or less also if I'm getting tired and stuff. If I'm also without or being injured, it's one of those things where I have like, all right, am I doing this because I want to hit the mileage or am I doing this because I want the belt buckle? Am I doing this just to prove something to myself type deal? It's something I've always kind of had to... I've rarely ever like tapped out during a race. I've either been forced to, or I've ma- I knew it was the right call. My second attempt at a hundred miler, I knew it was the right call because I was I was having things happen in a race that usually doesn't happen, which are like my knees were buckling and I wasn't even at fifty miles yet. Um, were you in the wrong shoes? No, it was uh, it was it was just a bad. Uh, I didn't, I, it was, I did, I ran my hundred miler in June and then I tried to do a second one in December without like really properly ramping back up. So it was just one of those, just like, this isn't going to go well. Um, but yeah, I felt my knees collapsing and I was like, uh, this is, I don't usually deal with this type of knee pain. So yeah, I, I made the smart decision on that, but yeah, ask like asking yourself and making sure you keep yourself grounded. Make sure you have like certain people around you who know you best. That's why if you're having a pit, don't just get a random person. Get someone who knows you pretty well. I don't know. My random person was very effective. Get yourself an ultra world champion to come up right when you need to and hand you a Theragun. And then show you it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Clips keep you mentally stimulated and laughing. A lot of people won't agree with this, but I, I'm a longer pitter, but for world's toughest, my goal is to roughly hit about a five minute pit. It's what I it's just how I keep things mentally. It's not like I'm hanging out, it's more or less like I'm making sure I'm mentally stable and I'm keeping focused and I'm eating and at least keeping my spirits up because I will sit and I will talk when I'm in pits. And I usually people like uh Brian's girlfriend was in our pit for toughest. I was like, just letting you know, when I come in, I'm probably going to be chatting with you just to keep myself mentally stimulated, um, just to keep myself like going, basically. So my goal for World's Toughest Mutter is, uh, I mean, Alan, who's my best friend, is going to be my pit crew. He's pitted for other people for World's Toughest. But I'm also giving him a Spotify playlist of songs. Just like, just hit, just hit play when I'm in pit. I can have that on the background, something to keep me like, it's all hype music. And then I'll be out. And none I don't think any of the songs are longer than five minutes. So I definitely I can't stay for more than one. So that's that's kind of my goal is to uh not really have a party aspect, but keep myself nice and loose and Oh, you dance party on course. Yeah. Well I gotta find it. I'd love it to be a secret dance party. Yeah. You didn't look behind stacks? I don't know if stacks are gonna be there, but 
Oh, what are you going to do behind stacks? Probably pee. <laughs> um. <laughs> I did have yeah. uh, that conversation as well this week about ultras. But oh, going to the, the bathroom? No. Something oh. else on course <laughs> during ultras. <laughs> That is not for this podcast. No. Um, you know, this is a terrible environment. I'll try no. Um, but yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> it's, it's only almost 10 o'clock, but I feel like it's so late. Um, I know. Well, it's because of this stupid daylight savings. Oh, it's technically almost 11. Okay. That's why I'm like, why is my voice already getting tired? And... Well, is that your only derailer? getting frustrated that's been my main one for a long time i mean unless we're talking like physical health i've had well like like i said where i've had my knees go bad the only other thing would be but like it's kind of on this like if i put too much pressure on the goal which is why i say i build up to my goals if i were to just hammer home 75 miles over and over into my head i'm not getting 75 miles if i sit there and just go 75 miles. I have to hit 75 miles. It's not going to happen in my head. If that, It won't happen because I'll sit there and I'll stress too much about it where I'm no longer having a good time. So I have like a good example for me putting too much pressure on one thing. Indian Mud Run. My make or break was getting ninja rings. That's how I ended up at ninja rings for way too long because I put too much pressure on it at the point where I started getting mad, which yeah, it doubled up into my thing and I exploded, the, I, I blew up on course. Um, so yeah, that's the other, that's my other one, is if I put too much pressure on my goals, I will end up not having a good time. Um, so I have to build into my goals. I have to take them every small step at a time and take them as milestones. Instead of goals, milestones build up. Like I said, building that fundraiser thermometer. So for me, my biggest derailer is my mental status. I mean, I've mentioned it before how, you know, my family has said, you know, haven't you gotten that out of your system? And I felt like I am completely alone. I'll say for this 24-hour race, if you guys follow anything that's going on in my life, I mean, I have had a shit year. And the on the Thursday before the race, I was working with my clients on Zoom. It was 7.30 in the morning and I hear my roommate screaming and things are breaking. My clients are saying, what is going on? Like, what's that noise? And you, I could hear my roommate mumbling about wanting to kill people. I go out in between clients and I see he's broken our faucet and he threw my face wash in the toilet and I was walking through the kitchen and he's walking the other way and he just goes fuck you and it's like what what is going on right now and he's just an alcoholic drunk out of his mind and me I hear him mumbling about wanting to kill people he's threatened people with you know an automatic rifle before like I'm terrified in my apartment so it's 
two days before this race, I had already done my grocery shopping, but I hadn't started packing anything. And I finish up with my clients and I give my parents a call and they say, get out of that house right now. Like, you need to leave. I, my mom said, I'm giving you an hour if within an hour or if after an hour you're not out of that apartment, I'm calling the cops. We're doing something to get you out. Uh, So I had one hour to grab everything I could possibly need for a 24 hour race. Like that pretty fucked up. Um, Mentally, that was weighing on my head. But then like, Physically, I didn't know if I had everything that I needed, and no, I didn't. Um, So then going into the race, I literally remember being on, you know, maybe the third or fourth lap thinking, and it's like, well, do I do this because I love myself or do I do this because I hate myself? And I genuinely don't know because, like, with everything I've gone through this year, I don't know if being out on course is my escape from everything I'm going on that's going on in my life or is it making everything that's going on in my life so much worse in my head and I was telling Charles just before we came on today I had a massive panic attack on my run I don't know why it happened but you know right now I'm recording this at my parents house because I don't know when I can really go back to my apartment because I don't feel safe there. I, it's, winter is coming and I meet my clients out at the park. I am going to go to meet clients tomorrow morning. It's going to be 35 degrees outside and we have to lift outside. You know, if I stay out there any longer with them, we're not going to be able to continue to work out. But I don't know where I'm going to bring them inside to train them right now. So I have to figure that out. My landlord is selling my apartment, so even if my roommate moves out, I have nowhere to go. And it's like, I have so much stuff going on in my head that all of that stuff is a massive barrier for me. I need to figure out coping strategies for everything. And I remember when I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning before that 24-hour race, I remember I texted Corey at 2.30, I texted... Jacob at 3, I texted Brian at 3.30. I remember um, sending, I think, almost every single one of them the same text of, I'm fucking terrified about what's going to happen during this race. And it's not because I thought my body was going to break down. The knee thing, it had never happened before, so it took me completely off guard. I was worried about my mental status. Because I was putting pressure on myself to hit the 100 miles. But then I was going to be running completely solo, you know. And I was going through all of this stuff where I didn't know if I had all of the gear that I needed. I, you know, can I go without my phone for 24 hours and not respond to clients? Because I work eight days a week. And all of this stuff was just weighing on me mentally. So, yeah, I had a therapist and I was talking through every single barrier possible to make sure that whatever came up while I was out on that run, I knew what I needed exactly when that came about. And I mean, it really did work. I think the only dicey spot I got during the race was like up five or six. And I was just feeling like I was going to bonk. And I 
pulled out some Oreos and I ate some Oreos and I like sparked right back in. And then I would like grab a Coke on the transition table as I came running through and I was fine. Um, but I was able to keep my head pretty good and mentally engaged. And I do think because even when I talked to my landlord about what was going on with my roommate and he's like, well, are you going to be here this weekend? I said, no, I'm going to be out at a race. I'm running a 24 hour race. So I was already not going to be in the apartment. And the race was my escape from the apartment. So I know that mentally I can handle the ultra stuff because my my headspace at an ultra can't be as bad as the headspace I'm going through right now, which I know sounds terrible and I'm working through all of it. But I have to deal with so much bullshit right now with everything else that's going on in my life that, you know, at least I am doing something beneficial for me, worthwhile, and I am clearing my head. You know, I'm getting the endorphins from the running, and I'm really pushing my limits. I'm not getting in any worse headspace being out on an ultra than I am sitting on my parents' couch while my mom binge-watches something on Netflix because that's what she does all day. Like, I, at least the ultra is my alone time where I can think and kind of deal with this stuff going on in my head obviously not in person because I'm not about to go and start a fight with somebody threatening people with an AR-15 I think that uh that kind of encompasses what we've kind of said about most of the the thing with ultra running is uh, and why we tell people to like talk with people on course and stuff like that because it's uh it's not just running for 24 hours or whatever distance you have it is it's not just your body. It's also the mental aspect because it's going to, it's going to wear and tear. So much more mental. So you need to have, you need to know how to have things at the right time. And for this race, even though you did end up having just issues with just knees and then becoming, you knew exactly what you needed at the time and what kind of filled that space. And that's kind of what you need to have. Do you have some form of success in ultra running. You need to either have a pit crew that know you yourself need to know how to handle things, or you need to have a pit crew that can help you figure things out. Um, a good example of it is even we had him on when I talked with my friend Savannah on our ultra DNF episode. Uh, she had a really great support system. And if you've already listened to that episode and you're trying to figure out a support system, go back and listen to the one she had built in to finish her Infinitus hundred miler. She had two people in her pit crew who knew exactly how to handle her at different aspects of running, how to handle her just overall mood. And because sometimes ultra runners, we could still physically be in it. But if we get mentally checked out and we get into like the fuck you mode, um, you need to have someone who can, especially if they're a pacer, who can literally just go, I know you're going to say that, but I'm just going to grab you by the chest. We're just going to keep running down this trail. You need to have like some form of either person or yourself who can handle your mental aspect at any point in time. But go back and listen to that episode. She has a pretty good, got a lot of really good tips for anyone looking to do a much longer race, like than even a 24 hour. You know, I know we've been talking for like an hour and a half about all this ultra stuff. We haven't touched on anything of what kind of physical prep we've done throughout the year to get us to where we want to be. But honestly, I'm okay with that. I think if we wanted to go 
come back to this all and talk about ultra prep, you know, we can save that all for another time because we are going to be going into the off season. I guarantee you nobody right now is preparing for their 2022 ultras to any real extent that they need to be thinking about what does their long run look like and everything else. And also, if you haven't gotten the if you haven't gotten the hint and you've listened this far, this episode is also just built in for us since we are both running into ultras soon. We are at the end of our seasons. We are we are very tired and we are very mentally <laughs> worn out. So we're like this was a bit of us like, oh yeah, this is how we're gonna prep for our own uh, races. Even I I have mine in a week. Actually, when this comes out, I'll be starting in three or four days, and then you have yours coming up in a week, two weeks. Yeah, this literally came about because I was like, you know, we can talk about ultras. I haven't really mentioned too much about the fit race. Like, I'm your coach. We need to lay down a race plan. He's like, I don't really want to hammer this goal all that big. And hey, I get that too. Legitimately, when I said I was running Carolina, um, talking to a couple people, they're like, oh my God, you're going to podium in Carolina. This is going to be so awesome. And I was like, don't say that to me. Like the second that people start saying, you know, you're going to podium, it gets into my head and I just push it. Like I had no idea. I didn't even think there were going to be podium awards at the Fit Noob Sanity race. I knew there wasn't going to be anything at the Fit 24 hour race. And when I consciously decided to stop and take a rest i was the first female overall like i don't need the pressure of am i gonna end up on a podium or not and again that's why i'm not running age group because i don't want to step in there and be like well it's gonna be an easy shot to a podium i'm really hoping that a lot of or a a handful of females at the very least come out and run elite at the Carolina Ultra, I want to actually ha- feel like I have to push myself. I think you might get that too, actually, on this one. The uh, push myself, or don't say podium no, because the, no, the field is probably going to be at this one. I have a feeling. I don't know. There's something about the South Carolina Ultra that people show up for. It's really weird. It's weird because it's know. not in South Carolina. It used to be. <laughs> I don't know. Actually, South Carolina has never had an ultra. Oh well. South I also Carolina don't... had a beast. It didn't. As have we know, I clearly don't pay attention to Spartan race stuff outside of stadiums anymore. Hey, so. I haven't raced a Spartan race in a year and a half. There you go. <laughs> More than that at this point. Yeah. Well, in two weeks, you'll have run their shortest distance and their longest distance. So I know. And there you go. I told Hosek <laughs> I was running Fenway or reminded him. And he's like, okay, just like multi-lap at both days. Like, oh, okay. So when you're complaining to me about why am I running 110 minutes the week yeah. before World's Toughest Mutter, I have 120 minutes on Saturday and like 90 minutes or like 75 or something on Sunday with Fenway. Um, yeah, I I was running today and I, I missed the days when like a 95 minute was my short run of the week or my was the long run not the short run i'm ready for my off season because i have run too many trails in my area yeah <laughs> i'm at this point i'm like 
I guess if I'm running 110 minutes, I guess I'm turning around just after Old Town. I know exactly where it's going to hit. <laughs> so I'm like, I need a need a break in my spots. That's how I felt. Like, I I I didn't get quite as far on my 170 minute run yesterday as I expected to on the trail. Um, I was hoping to get six and a half to seven miles deep before I had to turn around, but because of how um technical it is with all of the leaves down i was rolling my ankle too much i had to pull my pace back a little too much and i'm still getting like 2000 feet of elevation gain over the course of that trail but then going out on like the flatter trail today and having to try and muster up like 95 minutes on a trail that is only about 3 miles in length not even i mean I ran over 19 miles in two days. That's a, that's a good amount. I don't remember what I ran. I think I just ran. Yeah, I think I ran 16. I don't remember how many miles I got. I don't know. But anyways. You're faster than me. I Yeah. Um, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. So. But now with our standard order. Because I, I have a shorter sign off than you do. You can find me on Instagram at Sabretooth underscore OCR. That is S-A-B-R-E-T-O-O-T-H underscore OCR. On there, you can find my link tree where I have samples of my work. I have a discount code for clothes. And our podcast links actually are on there as well. Uh, Megan, where can they find you? I am Maggie B A T C on Instagram. I am the OCR trainer on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I have a website, and if you are interested in all of this ultra talk, stay tuned because I do have something potentially in the works for more ultra training. I do also do online coaching as well. So if you are looking to get set up with training for the off-season, go ahead, shoot me a message, and let's get you set up. All right. And you can find us on, uh, as you've already probably already found us, uh, you can find our link tree on Instagram and Facebook, which is at middle of the pack pod on both of those. We still aren't using Twitter, but if you could, <laughs> we uh, do have it. We just don't use it. Yeah. If you could on, if you haven't already go on iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review, um, subscribe, like download, you know, all that's all that general stuff. But yes, that is it for us this week. Um, we might be back next week with an episode. We're not sure. We got to see how we're available. We are. I'll be recovering from Worlds. Let's see if we can get a hold of Corey. Hopefully, he's not dead. We can see if we can get a hold of enough hope. But yeah, and uh, we will catch y'all next week or soon. And Charles, <laughs> good luck at Worlds Toughest Mutter. We will be tracking. I will hopefully be posting about his progress on our Instagram. But yeah, and we will catch y'all on the next one.